the Miracle Word Podcast. We believe that the Word of God gives you the power to experience never-ending increase in every area. If you're ready for revelation that will take you to the next level, you're in the right place. Here's your host, evangelist, author, and founder of Miracle Word University, Ted Shuttlesworth, Jr. The first thing I want to deal with when it talks, talks about, when I talk about the enemies or the greatest enemies of your personal revival, uh, the first one that I want to mention is hunger. If you're taking notes, put this, put this in the notes. Good morning, Glenn. Love you, bud. Wow, look at that, Larry and Barb up in New Brunswick. Number one is hunger. A lack of hunger for the things of God, that's an enemy. You know, the devil would love to try to steal people's spiritual hunger. He would love to try to steal people's spiritual hunger. I found this to be significant. I was reading through uh, the writings, and when I say the writings, they've published now uh, sermons, letters that he wrote, transcribed radio broadcasts of Dr. John G. Lake. And if you're not familiar with Dr. John G. Lake, what a powerful man of God he was at the turn of the last century. And he was a medical doctor and became a preacher. You've heard me tell stories about him when he went to South Africa and during the time of the bubonic plague. I wrote about him in Blood on the Door. But here's a man saw powerful miracles. I mean powerful life-changing miracles. And in, in his writings, one of the things that he said is that if I could impart anything to the body of Christ, you know, that your ears perk up when you hear a man of God like that say or write something like that. Because with such a powerful ministry, he said, if there's one thing that I could impart to the men and women of God, you know what it was? He said it would be spiritual hunger. Spiritual hunger hunger. That's exactly what he said. And it's really interesting to me because, of course, that's one of his most famous sermons that was actually published in a book uh, called Spiritual Hunger. Originally, it was called Spiritual Hunger, God, Men, and Other Sermons by um, John G. Lake. Um, but Spiritual Hunger, he said, that is a key. That is a key, morning John Puma, to seeing God move in your life. You know, uh, when you get hungry for God, and you know there's a difference. I find this to be interesting too. And that's right, AJ. AJ just wrote in the comments, when you're hungry, you act differently. That is so, I mean, that's so well put, AJ. When you are hungry, you act differently. You know, it's so funny that in, in, the, uh, in the natural realm, we have a phrase that people use, hangry. <laughs> have you heard of that phrase? Hangry. What is that? It's like you're so hungry, you've gotten angry. It's like people talk about being hangry. Well, what, what are they describing? Even, even naturally, what they're describing is that I'm so hungry that it's even changed my personality. It's even changed the way that I'm acting, the way that I'm uh, treating other people. Why? I'm hangry. I'm hangry. Um, and that's, that's an interesting point to make because if it changes you in the natural realm, you better believe it'll change you in the supernatural realm. And that is what Jesus taught. He was teaching spiritual hunger. There's a blessing that comes upon people who are spiritually hungry. And Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, if you're putting notes down, 
uh, Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 6. Uh, Blessed are those that hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. So there, you see that? There is um, a promised blessing from Christ on those who are hungry for the things of God, who thirst for the things of God. And um, I w- this is why when I start with this, I want to deal with one aspect. Because when you talk about hunger and thirst in the spirit, hunger and thirst in the spirit is different than hunger and thirst in the natural. Uh, and it's actually flip-flopped. It's opposite, right? So get this in your spirit. In the natural realm, the less you eat, the less you drink, the more hungry or thirsty you become. That's the natural. You know, when we were just fasting, we fasted 21 days. AJ said, I may have displayed hangry uh, a few days in the past fast. <laughs> what happens? The less you eat, the less you drink, the more hungry and thirsty you become. But that's not how it is in the, in the spiritual realm. That's not how it is in the kingdom of God. It's actually the opposite. It's the more you eat, the more you drink, the hungrier and thirstier you become. Let me just say that again for everybody. The more you eat and the more you drink, the hungrier and thirstier you become. Amen. And, and, and think about it that way. If in the spirit realm, the less you eat of God's word, of his presence, his spirit, the less you drink of righteousness, what happens? You start to get complacent, right? Your hunger begins to fade. That's a dangerous place to be. Lord, never let us get to the place as the victory tribe where our hunger begins to fade. Never let that be us, Lord Jesus, that in these last days. And the reason I'm praying that is because the Bible says there will be people like that, right? Paul prophesied it. He said that there'll be people that they just stop caring. They become lovers of themselves, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Jesus said that the hearts of many would grow cold. What is that? That's a lack of hunger. That's a lack of thirst for righteousness. And, uh, and so we know that that's uh, prophesied, but what do we always say? That'll never be us in Jesus' name. It'll never be our story. Never. We're getting hotter and hotter and hotter. We're getting hungrier and hungrier and hungrier. We're getting thirstier and thirstier and thirstier for the things of God. So keep that in mind that in the kingdom of God, it's the more you eat, the more you drink, the hungrier you get, the thirstier you get in the kingdom. Um, and that's why, if you remember last week, I did a broadcast, and um, we were talking about how to not lose the momentum of your fast. It's interesting because last night, I just talked to uh, Josh Prado, who was here with, with Emily, um, and they came in from another part of Georgia to be a part of the revival. And Josh and Emily have been following uh, Miracle Word. They've been following Last Gen uh, for a while now. And uh, they were telling me how much Last Gen uh, has blessed their lives. Uh, the Last Gen podcast, Last Gen ministry, our youth ministry. And um, one of the things that they were saying to me last night, which is so true, is they said, you know, when the fast ended, because they did the fast with us, they said when the fast ended, um, you know, we almost kind of felt like there was a, an absence there. There's like a, like a gap. And he said, so I started leading 
uh, a, a Bible study with my friends and uh, we'll listen to a podcast or preaching teaching. We'll pray together. We'll study through a book of the Bible. I think they're going through Matthew. Well, I, I love that. And that's why I did that broadcast, how to not lose your momentum. It's important to remember that the time of fasting and prayer that we just came through is not supposed to be an isolated event in your Christian life that was like this huge moment of dedication and then you drop off afterwards. No, no, no. It's actually something that's supposed to kickstart new habits in your life, kickstart new disciplines in your life. And so I did that broadcast on how to not um, lose the momentum of your fast because truly it should just be uh, getting greater and greater. But notice it does take self-control. It does take the discipline of saying, you know what? I know this is so important that I am going to make a point. Because here's the difference, and I want you to think, of, think on this. When your flesh gets hungry, when your flesh gets hungry, there's not another entity fighting back against your natural hunger, is there? Your body gets hungry, and there's nothing that says, no, don't eat, don't eat, don't eat. There's nothing that says that. You have to eat to live. And so when your body gets hungry, and, and, and you know it, you know, you know those times of day, you feel the hunger pangs come and they hit you, and what do you do? You just go eat something. There's a free flow of feeding because your body needs it, you know when you need it, and there's nothing trying to hinder you from eating. But that's not the case in the spirit realm, is it? It's not the case at all. Because though your spirit man is hungry and is calling to eat, calling to drink, there's another entity called your flesh <laughs> that is pushing back against you wanting to eat and drink, you know, spiritual eating and drinking after righteousness. It's pushing back. Your flesh doesn't have that for natural eating, but your spirit has that for, for supernatural eating. That's why it takes discipline. You know, it doesn't, think about it. In the, in, I, I told you it's opposites. I told you. Isn't it interesting that in the, in the natural realm, you don't need discipline to not eat or to eat. You need discipline to not eat. It doesn't take discipline to eat. It takes discipline to not eat. It takes discipline to diet. It takes discipline to fast, not to eat. But in the spirit realm, it's the opposite, right? It takes discipline to eat. It takes discipline to drink because your flesh is pushing back against the eating and the drinking in the spirit realm. But the more you eat and the more you drink supernaturally, the hungrier and the thirstier you will become. No question about it. And that's why I always tell people this. Don't depend on your passion. Don't depend on your um, excitement. Don't depend, because just like anything else that takes discipline, if you're depending on your passion, your excitement, you know, whatever it might be that day, what do you do on the days you don't have the passion for it? What do you do on the days you don't have the excitement for it? Because anyone who's done anything that takes discipline knows there are plenty of days where you don't feel like waking up early and going to the gym. You don't feel like staying on that diet. There's plenty of days where the excitement of it is gone, right? The passion of it's gone. That's why anyone successful does not depend on their passion and their 
excitement. They depend on their habits. They depend on their self-controlled discipline. And that's what we do as, as believers. It, I don't, I don't uh, read the Bible when I feel like it. I don't pray when I feel like it. I don't attend church when I feel like it. I don't give when I feel like it. I don't witness when I feel. No, no, I do those things as part of the habit of my life. And I know that I'm fighting against my flesh. So you know what I say? Like Paul in 1 Corinthians 9, 27. I put my body under on a daily basis, making it do what it should. I I don't care if my flesh feels like I said, too bad. You're not in control. You're not in control. The spirit is in control. That's what we have to just end up telling ourselves. You're not in control. The spirit's in control. My flesh doesn't run me. My soul doesn't run me. My spirit runs me. And actually my spirit is connected to the Holy Spirit who leads and guides me. So when I say that my spirit is in control running me, it's because I'm united with the Holy Spirit and he's leading me and he's guiding me. Amen. And so, uh, and and Glenn's right, you got to decide to do hard things. Today, I'm going to do the things. This is why I encourage people like when you are doing these things, this will help you. When you are doing these things, do them early. Do them earlier in the day rather than later in the day. This, This is just a practical help for people. And man, does this help. Man, does this help. Um, And this is not my opinion or or a spiritual thing. This is something that um, those that research even human actions and habits and productivity, they've discovered this many times over. That, and in fact, there's a great book called The, uh, let me think, The One Thing. That's the name of the book. The One Thing by Gary Keller. If you've never read that, it's a good one to read. The One Thing by Gary Keller. And he's talking about the fact in the book that um, uh, multitasking is a myth, that you have to really put yourself toward one goal, one thing, and accomplish it if you're going to do it well. But he makes the point that they've discovered that willpower is not something you can use on demand all the time. This will help you to hear this. Willpower is not something you can use on demand all the time. In fact, uh, in, in fact put, this in the, uh, put this in the comments section. Willpower is a limited resource. Write that in. Willpower is a limited resource. And the point that he was making, and they've, I, I've shared this with you before, very interesting um, thought is productivity experts and researchers have found that in offices and you know people's jobs whatever careers that productivity falls off severely after the lunch hour they found that how many of you've heard that that productivity falls off severely after the lunch hour and so productivity experts will begin to tell you do your most important work that takes the most of your focus and brain power, do those things before lunch. Do them in the morning. Do them in the morning. And then don't do the arbitrary things. Don't do the things that are just mindless before lunch. And they'll tell you, don't answer your emails when you first get in in the morning. Don't do all the the callbacks or, you know, all the stuff, you know, filling out paperwork. Do the projects that take your most 
it's the most focused time. You know, use your energy that, that you can to produce the best work. Do that in the morning. Well, why do they find that? They find that because after that lunch hour, your focus is drained and your willpower. Now think about this. Think about this. They said um, most people's bad decisions are made at nighttime. Get that in your spirit. (laughs) Most people's bad decisions are made at nighttime. They make bad decisions in the evening and at night. They say, why is that? You know, as I was growing up, you know, you hear, you hear these, uh, these, these old church mothers, the old saints of the church, and they'd have, all these, they'd, all, they'd have all these sayings that they'd always tell you, and you'd be wanting to go out with your friends and stuff, and, and, and I, la- I would laugh back then, but you'd hear this one. You, I don't know if anybody else has heard this. You'd hear this one a lot. Nothing good happens after the sun goes down. <laughs> it's like a, it's like a saying. Nothing good happens after the sun goes down. He was like, "What are you talking about? Like, what do you? What in the world are you talking about?" But they, the reason they were saying that, <laughs> nothing good happens after the sun goes down. That's a principle, and the principle was, listen to me, it's the end of the day. You've been up since the morning all day long, and what's happening? Your willpower, your willpower, your willpower is being drained all day long. All day long. So you know what happens with most people, right? They get to the night and they're tired and their willpower's gone. So what happens? It's almost, it's almost the same type of thing that happens when people begin to drink. Their inhibitions are lowered. Their inhibitions are lowered. And drinking does it because of alcohol, but people that are doing things at night, it's because they're tired and their focus is gone, their willpower is gone, and they're just like, yeah, whatever, let's, and their discipline's gone. And that's where that comes from. So uh, that's where you get things like this, and this will help you. Um, Never make decisions when you're tired. Never make important decisions when you're tired. What am I talking about? I'm talking about staying hungry, staying hungry for the things of God. But you can't do that. You can't eat. You can't feed yourself properly if you've gotten to the end of your day. And what you say, what bad decisions am I talking about? The bad decisions I'm talking about is keeping your reading of the word, keeping your prayer, all of your spiritual disciplines and pushing them off until the nighttime. Well, I'll do it before bed. Everyone that's watching me or listening knows how you feel after a long day of work before bed. You don't feel like digging into the word. You don't feel like getting down and praying and pressing into the spirit realm. That's what I'm saying. Most people's bad decisions are made at night. What bad decision would that be? I'll just, I'll just wait till tomorrow. I'll just read the word tomorrow. I'll just pray tomorrow. And people get into that pattern and then it just keeps on carrying off into the future until they've never done it. Well, I'll do it tomorrow. Well, I'll, and then it becomes procrastination of spiritual disciplines. Most bad decisions are made at night. That's what I'm talking about. Hey, Rachel. Uh, Uchenna put in the comments, uh, Paul wrote about engaging at night, not engaging at nighttime because, quote, unquote, those who sleep, sleep at night. Those who get drunk, get drunk at night. And you understand that's, that's human nature because what's happening? What's happening? The thing that's happening is you've lost your focus, you've lost your willpower, you've lost your inhibitions. And so as, as a result, um, 
you won't do what you, what you should. So I'm encouraging you, if you're going to stay hungry where you've got to feed yourself continually, you have to eat and drink from that place of righteousness continually, it would be the best thing you could do to do those things early rather than late. Do them in the morning. David, the, the psalmist said, Lord, early do I seek thee. Early do I seek thee. Bishop Oedepo calls the early morning God's radio hour. Calls it God's radio hour. God speaks to his people in the morning. And, and the old saints, the old preachers used to understand that um, <clears throat> they waited on the Lord in the morning to get their manna, their word for the day. Dr. Lester Summerall would not even take a phone call from another preacher to give him advice until he had first prayed and got into the presence of God that morning. Because he said, if I don't do that, what good do I, is me talking to them going to do anyway? Because all I can give him is natural wisdom, and he needs supernatural wisdom. So what good does it, does it do for me to talk to him without being in the presence of God? And there was a lot of men like that. Smith Wigglesworth. Smith Wigglesworth. Many men like that. They spent their morning hours with the Lord. Well, in the natural, it's also good because that's when you're most fresh. That's when you've got your willpower intact. You've got your discipline intact. You're starting your day strong. Amen. So that's just a tip for you for this number one. Uh, a lack of hunger destroys people's personal revival because if you're not hungry for God, if you're not hungry for God, hallelujah, you'll not be in a position to have personal revival. You'll miss the move of God. Oh, no. Denise Karam said, oh, no, I agreed to marry Glenn when it was nighttime. <laughs> Glenn is now, he is now, with, with much chagrin has he received that comment. Look at him in the comments. Just completely, just devastated. Just devastated. Glenn was a good decision, Denise, I can tell you that. Glenn was a good decision, and Glenn knows Denise was a good decision. Um, no hunger destroys personal revival. Let me move on to number two. Here's the other thing that bothers me. I see this a lot in Western Christianity. Number two, no urgency. People have no urgency in their life about eternity, none whatsoever. And so you've got a whole world of dying people. You've got a whole world of hurting people, but you've got no urgency. It kills personal revival. It's like people that are just, it, they seem, seem to be coasting through life with a total um, disregard for what's going on in our generation. No urgency to preach the gospel. No urgency to win souls. No urgency to uh, dig into the presence of God. No urgency to fast. No urgency to pray. You know, this, I had to stay really in the spirit. I'm just going to be very transparent with you guys this morning. I had to really stay in the spirit during the fast because... It's not like people, especially people in our circles. I'm talking about people in the Pentecostal, word of faith, charismatic circles. They know what we're all doing. It's not just the victory tribe. You know, we're not the only ones that are fat. There's so many of us in the nation and around the world fasting and praying for 21 days at the beginning. Of, and most of us, it was funny because I didn't plan it this way, but it, I looked at most of the people that were doing it and they almost all were even doing the exact same date range. January 2nd to the 22nd. It's not like there were just a couple people fasting. The majority of the body of Christ that were in the, in the circles we run it, we're doing it. And then you got people, you got people posting 
all of the restaurants that they're going to. Preachers. Preachers. I'm talking about Holy Ghost filled, charismatic, Pentecostal preachers. They know what everybody's doing. They know what's going on in the body of Christ. Posting their hamburgers and their bacon cheeseburgers and their uh, fried chicken sandwiches and fries and posting it. I had to go get me a milkshake and I brought it. And, and like literally posting it on their social media knowing that we're all in a time of fasting and prayer. My question is, why aren't you in one, Joker? Why aren't you in a time of fasting and prayer, leading your church, leading your people, leading a ministry? Why are you running around with your lips dripping with grease and special sauce running down the side of your face? What, 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 is, what is going on? When you know what's happening, and it's, listen, if you don't want to fast, I get it, then, then just, you know, maybe say, well, I, I'm fasting later in the year. That's fine. That's fine. But the, it's one thing to just say, well, I'm not going to fast at this time. It's another thing to throw every one of your meals in front of everybody's face on social media. You look like uh, a, a terrible, weak leader. I just had to stay in the spirit because it's like, dude, it's not like nobody knows what's happening. They know what we're doing. <laughs> That's a glance at why provoke your brother. I agree. Why provoke your brother? And, and I'm just telling you, it blows my mind. And I'm not talking about like baby Christians and image. I'm talking about preachers, preachers. And then they need everybody to help them. And they're always wondering, how come we don't have a breakthrough? And could you just pray for us? We're really believing for this. And like, well, how about you just, instead of begging everybody for help, why don't you just give up the, gre the greasy burgers for 21 days, get on your knees and fast and pray with urgency and watch what God will do for you. Amen. I'd be wondering, AJ. And so I just had to stay in the spirit because there's no urgency there. No urgency. This is the thing that keeps people from personal revival. I'm not talking about revival in church. You know, revival in church comes from people that are already in revival from themselves. They've got a hunger themselves. Church is a building. We meet in the church. I get that. But the church is made up of individuals that, what do you think, like there's just something that's happening in this building? And something can happen in a building, I get that. But what I'm saying is, if none of us showed up here to worship God, nothing's going to go on in this building. The building itself is not in revival. It's not like, man, all these Christians stepped into the building and then all of a sudden there was a... No, no, no. The people got hungry. The people got hungry. The people got thirsty. The people got urgent. Pressed in to the Spirit. And God moved. Right? God moved. I quote that Old Testament passage, 2 Chronicles 7. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, then I will hear from heaven and I'll heal their land. Even in an Old Testament context, that's how it worked. God said, I'm waiting on my people to get humble, to get hungry, and to pray, and to seek my face. Turn from their wicked ways, right? That's what God's looking for. And so even in an Old Testament context, it was the same. God's not just forcing revival. Revival doesn't just spring up randomly. Oh my goodness, there's a revival over there. It didn't just randomly happen. It's not like a geyser gushing out of the ground in a state park. Oh, did you see that thing just pop right up out of the ground? Revival's over there. I've never seen anything like it. No, it happens because of how the church responds to the word, how the church responds to the spirit and the urgency and, and, the, and the hunger with which they press in. 
That's exactly how it works. That's exactly how it works. And I'll tell you, just a good recommendation, if you've not read this book, um, there's a book called Why Revival Tarries by Leonard Ravenhill. Tarries, T-A-R-R-I-E-S. <laughs> we don't say that word much anymore. But Why Revival Tarries by Dr. Leonard Ravenhill. If you've never read it, it'd be a good, good book to pick up and read. But people have no urgency. Jesus was provoking his disciples to urgency. A, a scripture that I uh, quote all the time, John 9, 4. Jesus said to his disciples, we must work the works of him who sent me while it is yet day. For the night is coming where no man can work. That's urgency. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is still daytime. You see that? There's the urgency. Time's running out. That's what Jesus is saying. Time's running out. It's still day right now, but the night is coming. The night is coming. The night is coming where no man can work. So we got to get to work. We got to get to work. That's urgency. That's urgency. Hallelujah. It's urgency. Just John 9, 4, if you're taking notes. John chapter 9, verse 4. Listen to this urgency that Jesus put into his disciples' spirit. <clears throat> Luke chapter 10 and verse number 2. And Jesus said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly. How? Pray earnestly. Pray earnestly that the Lord of the harvest would send out laborers into his harvest. Pray earnestly. Pray earnestly. Why? It's ready right now. The harvest is ready right now. That was 2,000 years ago. How much more is it ready now? Pray earnestly that the Lord would send laborers into his harvest field. So there's no urgency. If there's no hunger and there's no urgency, what else? What else is holding back personal revival from believers? Well, it's not just no hunger and no urgency. But on top of that, this is a dangerous one, complacency. That's number three. Complacency. Complacency. Let me um, take you back to the Old Testament, to the book of Proverbs. And in the book of Proverbs, and it's actually the first proverb, Proverbs 1, and uh, let me read you verse 32. You ready for this? Proverbs 1, 32. For the simple are killed by their turning away. Listen to this. And the complacency of fools destroys them. The complacency of fools destroys them. The complacency of fools destroys them. What does complacency end up producing in your life, right? Laziness, procrastination, slacking off. That's what complacency leads to. That's why if you go further in the book of Proverbs, it says, consider the ant sluggard, you lazy person. She has no chief, no ruler, no, but literally goes and works hard to prepare for the upcoming seasons, right? Nobody's, there's no taskmaster. 
that's like whipping them, get to work, get to work, get to work. Nobody's stopping by their desk every 10 minutes. I was wondering where that paperwork was. Can I get those forms? No, they just work, 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 work. They know they've got to do it in order to provide. They're not complacent. They're not just sitting in the anthill like, yeah, I'll gather food maybe next year. No, they're doing it. They're working. Nobody's driving them. They're working. And uh, the Bible says, fools. And that's why Proverbs 6 says, a little folding of the hands to sleep, a little slumber, what and poverty will pounce on you like an armed man, like a robber. Pounces on you. What, what provokes it? Laziness, complacency. Causes poverty to pounce on you. And that's why people are in, and of course we could talk all about natural poverty. We could talk all about uh, lack and not enough. But what about those that are spiritually in that place? What about those that are spiritually in that place where they don't have They don't have a move of God. They don't have manifestations of the Spirit. They don't have an encounter with the Holy Ghost. They don't have that in their home. There's no peace. There's no joy. There's no love. There's no miracles. You're you're in poverty spiritually. What Through what? A little folding of the hands to sleep, a little slumber. Poverty pounces on you. Same spiritually. Fools are destroyed by their complacency, the Bible says. Destroyed by their complacency. You can even turn to Zephaniah chapter 1, and, uh, and read that. In fact, let's go there. Um, these are passages in the Bible that rarely do people um, check them out, and you may need the contents page to get there, but get there with me. Zephaniah chapter 1, verse 12. The Bible says, um, and God is angry, obviously, with Judah, and he's going to bring judgment on Judah What is the reason he's going to bring judgment on Judah? Well, here's one of the reasons, verse 12. At that time, I will search Jerusalem with lamps, and I will punish the men who are complacent. Who are what? Complacent. I will punish the men who are complacent. Those who say in their hearts, the Lord will not do good, nor will he do ill. Their goods will be plundered, and their houses will be laid waste. Though they build houses, they shall not inhabit them. Though they plant vineyards, they shall not drink wine from them. What are they saying? God's not going to do anything good. God's not going to do anything bad. God's not doing anything right now. God's not moving. And they're complacent because they think God's not moving. God's not doing anything. What a lie from the devil. God is never not doing something. God's spirit is active. It's moving. It's producing all the time. Amen. And so it's, it's so important to see. God's looking at Judah and ready to judge. Ready to judge. He's tired of complacency. We can never get to that place. I'll not lack hunger. I will not lack urgency. And I'll never be complacent. I'll never be complacent in Jesus' name. Never be complacent. We're happy. We're, oh, yeah. Just, you know, this is, and people get like that. God blesses them a little bit and they start getting complacent because they're comfortable. Oh, man. Oh, man. That takes me to number four. You ready for it? Number four thing that keeps back, and I'm giving you five today, the five greatest enemies of personal revival. The five greatest enemies of personal revival. What are they? The fourth one is convenience. Oh, man, this this is a killer. I'm going to explain what I mean by it. A killer. Can I tell you? The more convenient your life becomes, the more disciplined you have to be. 
if you've never heard me say that, and maybe I've never said it that way on the broadcast, you need to write it down because that will help you. God's increasing you all. I'm watching it. I'm watching it happen. Your testimonies keep coming in. I see your lives. God's blessing you. He's increasing you. But please write that down. The more convenient your life becomes, the more disciplined you have to be. Please, please, please get that. Don't miss that point. Erica knows what I'm talking about. She said, very true. The more convenient your life becomes, the more disciplined you have to be. Let me break that down. What do I mean by that? Well, listen, if your life is not convenient, if you're struggling to even make it, it's not hard, is it, to see that you need God's help? (laughs) It's not hard at all. There's people, maybe they came out of that uh, situation, even uh, their family's been that way for years, and they know, man, I came from a place where we were always struggling, can barely keep the lights on, uh, food in the fridge, you know, uh, got no money to pay the bills, just struggling to get by, paycheck to paycheck, working three jobs. You know, when you're going through it, or always battling sickness, or always battling depression, when you're at that low place, you know you need help from God. You know it. You know what that does? That puts people in a place of desperation. I need God to help me. They cry out for God. They cry. When people get in trouble, they cry out for God. That's why we get that, um, that uh, phrase that was said even back from World War I and II. There are no atheists in foxholes. Have you ever heard that phrase before? There are no atheists in foxholes. Why? Because when all that live fire is going off over your head and mines are going off and rockets are going off and, uh, you know, all this stuff and people are dying, you've got dead people next to you in the trenches, uh, you're not sitting there, you know, questioning your theology. I don't really know if I believe there's a God in heaven. If you see people dying all around you, explosions going off, people are shooting at you, you're crying out, God, I'm just, I, I swear, if you'll save me, if you'll protect me, I'll live for you for the rest of my life. God, if you're there, hear me. I mean, you, there's no atheists in foxholes. When you're in trouble, when your life is on the line, people are crying out for God. I need help. I need help. I need help. So it's easy to know you need help when you're in trouble. It's easy to know you need help when you're in trouble. Here's the question. What about when things are going well? And there's the rub. What about when things are going well? What about when you are blessed? What about when you are no longer worrying about paying your bills or keeping food in the fridge or your kids properly clothed? or uh, even making enough money at work. What do you do? Here's the question. What do you do when you get to the place where it's easy to pay your bills? It's easy to clothe your kids. It's easy to have food in the fridge. But beyond that, it's easy to buy what you want. It's easy to spend time on vacation every year and you don't feel it. It's easy. You have the car you want, the house. You know, what do you do then? Because, you know, the more your life becomes convenient, the more disciplined you have to be. Because the Bible is full of warnings, full of warnings to people who had wealth and forgot their God and trusted in their riches. Full. Full. The Bible's full of those warnings. Those rich men that have trusted in their wealth, some of them 
have actually gone over into a love of money, which produces, it's the root of all kinds of evil. What do you do? The more convenient your life becomes, the more disciplined you have to be. I heard uh, Bishop Oyedepo say it this way one time. I'll never forget it. He said, God doesn't just check on you to see how you're doing when you need help. He checks on you to see how you're doing when everything's going well. He doesn't just check to see if your praise is in place and your prayers in place and your words in place and your faithfulness when you need a miracle. He comes back to check on you when your bills are paid and your kids are doing great and you're going on vacation whenever you want and you're, you're eating whatever you want, driving whatever you want, living in whatever you want. He comes back to check. Where's their word discipline? Where's their prayer discipline? Where's their praise discipline? Where's their thanksgiving? Where's their faithfulness? Right? He's checking on you. He's checking on you. AJ puts the verse of scripture, because you did not serve the Lord your God with joy and gladness of heart for the abundance of everything. Deuteronomy 28, 47. And that's what God's checking on. When you've got an abundance in all things, when he's blessed you to that place, are you now going to trust in your riches, trust in the convenience? Oh, it's easy. It's easy. Let me uh, take you to, to something just to show you the severity of this. It's Jeremiah. I, I keep this verse in front of my face. I mean, I keep it in front of my face. Keep it in front of your face. Jeremiah 17, verse 5. This was the sin of Judah. I keep it in front of my face. Jeremiah 17, 5. Thus says the Lord, cursed is the man who trusts in man. There it is. Cursed is the man who trusts in man. Cursed is the man. So trusting in men, trusting in the natural, who makes flesh his strength. That's what the verse says. Trust, cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength. So when you trust in the natural realm, when you trust in your money, your paycheck, when you trust in your savings and 401k, when you trust in your relationships and connections, when you trust in the natural realm, it brings a curse on you, the Bible says. Cursed is the man that does that. And look what ultimately, whose heart turns away from the Lord. Whose heart turns away from the Lord. You know, I don't often talk about this, but it needs to be talked about. That there's a great danger. There's a great danger. Uh, you know, my son, he loves Spider-Man. I mean, he loves Spider-Man. He has Spider-Man shoes, pants, jacket, socks, underwear. He'll wear them all. He's got all, all the Spider-Man gear, backpack, gloves. He's got the, the, uh, the beanie. He's, got, he's all Spider-Man out. He's Spider-Man out. But when you watch Spider-Man, you'll hear a phrase often, whether you're in the cartoons or the movies, um, with great power comes great responsibility. With great power comes great responsibility. You hear it all the time. With great power comes great responsibility. Same is true in the kingdom. With great blessing comes great responsibility. And that's why... Uh, Erica, she commented just now, this is where I found the most persecution for others who aren't in the faith. They don't understand why I'm so hungry for the things of God when things in the natural seem to be going so well. But see, that's what keeps you blessed is when you stay hungry, even in the midst of blessing. With great blessing comes great responsibility. With great blessing, with great blessing 
brings great response. Why? Why is that the case? Because the more blessed you are, the more responsible you have to be. To whom much is given, much is required. To whom much is given, much is required. That's why if people are outside the faith, like Erica's talking about, if they're outside the faith, but they already have riches and wealth and everything, that's why Jesus said it's hard for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. You say, why is that? Because it's not easy when you're wealthy and everything's going well. It's not easy to see your need for God. It's not easy. And again, let me just say, that's not Jesus teaching against wealth and riches. That's not what he's doing. That's not what he's doing. Remember, he's talking to the rich young ruler who wanted to be a disciple, but was not willing to sell what he had and give it to the poor. And Jesus said, uh, and then he, he left Jesus, and the Bible says, and he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus said, it is hard for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. We're talking about people outside the kingdom of heaven. Why? Because when you've got everything, when you don't have needs, and you don't feel desperation, it's hard for people to see they need Jesus. It's hard for them to see that. What do I need him for? I've already got my bills are paid. I'm good. I'm healthy. My kids are doing well. They go to Ivy League schools. I'm on vacation. I mean, I'm good. I, I'm a good person. I do good things for people. I, I, you know, I'm a philanthropist. And, you know, they don't understand that they, they need Christ. They've put their trust in their riches. That's a dangerous place to be. Dangerous place to be. And so they don't get it. And see, that's why if, if you look at it from that perspective, you say it's hard for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. It's also dangerous if you're, if you're already in the kingdom of heaven once God starts blessing you. That's why it takes more responsibility because you have to ensure I'll never get to that place where I feel like I don't need God's help. I don't need God's assistance because it's easy to let that creep up on you and all of a sudden you say, you know what, I, you know, I'm not desperate anymore. I don't need a miracle anymore. And human nature is, well, I'm not going to press in like I used to press in. I'm not going to press in. You know, now people kind of know me. I've got a reputation. I'm not going to be seen at church, you know, dancing around like an idiot, you know, and, and jumping around and shouting, raising my voice and, you know, going off and spinning. And I'm not doing all that. People know me around here. I own three businesses and, you know, I've, I've got a reputation uphold. Okay, so you're more important than God who needs his praise, who is worthy of his praise, who's worthy of his worship, who's worthy of your prayer time. That's, that's where people get. So dangerous. And they miss out on personal revival because they've become complacent and it's dangerous. It's dangerous. And so you have to be a watchful as God blesses you. Got to be watchful. I don't care. You know, God's blessed me abundantly. But I told people, people laugh. He's like, man, you really go hard. You really up there praising God hard. I said, I'll sweat. I don't care about this three-piece suit. I'll sweat this three-piece suit up. God gave it to me anyway. If I sweat this one up and destroy it, I'll, he'll give me another one. But I'm not going to hold back. You know, I'm blessed now, brother. Hallelujah. We just kind of lift our hands at half-mast and give God a dignified praise. Ain't no such thing as a dignified praise. You praise him with everything you've got. He's the one that brought you there. He's the one that set your feet where they are. He's the one who blessed your family and kept you from sickness and disease and kept you from calamity. I'm not going to come into church and, hallelujah, isn't he wonderful, isn't he worthy? No, I've got more praise than that in me. I'm like King David. I'll get more undignified than this before it's over. Hallelujah. I'll get more undignified than this. If you think I'm going to get to the place where God's blessed me so abundantly that like I'm and I told y'all, I'm going to get to the place where I give a $1 million offering to God, and I won't be done there, but I'm, that's the goal. 
You think I'm going to give the place in millions and millions and millions, and, and God's blessed, and the ministry's blown up, and I'm going to come in and sit on the front row, hallelujah, isn't he a wonderful God, hallelujah. I don't care. He's the one that gave, he gave me everything, and I'll give him everything. Amen. I'll never become complacent. Never get too dignified, too blessed to give God everything. And that's why people don't have personal revival is because one of the reasons is they've become complacent where they are and they let their spiritual life taper off and then it drops because now they have everything they want in the natural. That stuff doesn't matter. It can disappear. If you go off track, it can disappear like that, like that. It's insane. But number five, let me keep you, keep you on track here. Number one, no hunger. Number two, no urgency. Number three, complacency. Number four, convenience. That's what I'm talking about. It's easy, isn't it? You need something, run down to Walmart. Go grab a prescription at the CVS. You know, you need, you, you need to just order it on Amazon. Swipe your credit card. Everything's easy. Everything's easy. Keep yourself in a place where convenience does not kill your consecration. I want you to put that in the comments. I will not let convenience kill my consecration. I will not let convenience kill my consecration. And then finally, let me give you this one. Prayerlessness. That's number five. What a mistake to be a prayerless Christian. I will not let convenience kill my consecration. I refuse. I refuse. But number five, prayerlessness. Prayerlessness. You know, I heard Bishop Oyedepo, and I quote him a lot because, you know, he's got the largest church in the world impacting his nation, impacting other nations, building a sanctuary that's got 100,000 seats. He's really made... I mean, he's making a massive impact for God. I mean, when you preach to 500,000 people every Sunday in person, you're averaging 2,000 salvations a week. I think you're doing okay. You might want to just listen to what the man has to say. And he said, if you're not prayerful, you'll be sinful. If you are not prayerful, you will be sinful. Very interesting. If you are not prayerful, you will be sinful. And he's referencing Matthew 26 and verse 41. Jesus, again, I keep these scriptures in front of your face. These will encourage you. These will strengthen you, take you higher. Jesus is in the garden with his disciples and they're praying. Of course, he's in Gethsemane before his arrest and before his trial and before his crucifixion. And um, Jesus keeps encouraging his disciples to pray. They keep falling asleep. But Jesus says in verse 41 of Matthew 26, watch and pray. Why? That you may not enter into temptation. Hmm. Watch and pray. That you may not enter into what? Temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. The spirit indeed is willing but the flesh is weak. Well, that's the fight for everybody. That's Galatians 5.17. The flesh is at war with the spirit. We know that. 
So what's Jesus' solution here? Pray, watch and pray, watch and pray, watch and pray. And if you'll do that, that you'll, you'll not fall into temptation. As Bishop said, if you're not prayerful, you'll be sinful. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And so one of the reasons, you know, I look at this, where prayer, uh, I love Dr. Cho's book, Prayer That Brings Revival. If you've not read uh, Dr. David Youngie Cho's book, Prayer That Brings Revival, please read it. Please read it. Um, get a hold of it and, and get that revelation. Prayer That Brings Revival. Uh, I said this, and I quoted it in my book on fasting, when Dr. Bob Rogers went over to Korea to see Dr. Cho, and he was on Dr. Cho's board, and asked uh, Dr. Cho's mother-in-law, Madam Che, um, how did you have such church growth? How do you have such church growth? Over a million members in your church. How do you do it? She said, we fast, 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 and we pray, pray, pray. We fast, 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 and we pray, pray, pray. We fast, 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 and we pray, pray, pray. Showing them the key to breakthrough is prayer. God's never, God doesn't do anything great outside of prayer. In fact, let me tell you, one of the things I knew we had to do, we had to launch those prayer teams. Had to launch those prayer teams because God's not going to do anything great. One of the things prayer does is it reveals to God. Now, he knows your heart, but your actions truly reveal it. It reveals um, your need for God. It shows him that you know you have a need, a great need for him. A great need. Let me take you uh, to Acts chapter 2 for a moment and um, show you how the church grew rapidly. Acts 2.42, listen to this. There are some points here to, to grab. And they devoted themselves, talking about the Christians, the Christians now that we're in the kingdom. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers, and the prayers, and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul. Many signs and wonders were being done through the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common, selling their possessions and belongings, and uh, distributing to the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, and they received food with gladness and generous hearts, praising God, listen, and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. How did the early church blow up so fast? How did they blow up? They blew up like this. Apostles teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. Signs and wonders and generosity. That's how they did it. And they had favor with men, and God kept adding to the church such as should be saved. I mean, blew up. They blew up around the world, turned the world upside down. You can't do it outside of prayer. And if we want to have a move of God, not just in our churches. You know, the churches are going to be an outflow of what's happening with the believers that attend the churches. And it takes that kind of consecration. Say, Lord, I can't do this on my own. We need you in this generation. We need you to touch our culture. We need you to touch our nation, touch our children, touch our grandkids. Don't, let, don't leave this nation hanging in the balance. Lord, we've got believers that are standing and believing you that you'll blow your breath from heaven and cause us to walk in a place of supernatural revival and refreshing in this country. 
Let there be a great awakening among your people. While others are falling away, let us be those that are on fire catching others on fire. It doesn't come through complacency. It doesn't come through a lack of hunger. It doesn't come through a lack of urgency. It doesn't come through convenience. It comes through the consecration that we give to God and our prayer, our lives of prayer. Hallelujah. I mean next level. That's why we're praying. And again, tonight... It's our second meeting of the prayer teams. And if you've not joined us yet to be a part of the Miracle Word prayer teams, I'm telling you, jump in. You don't have to be making plans. Miss Dawn, you can throw that slide up, but you don't have to be making plans uh, to move to Florida or attend Miracle Word Church. We just, we want you to join us in prayer. Miss Dawn, you have that slide? Thank you. Uh, MiracleWord.com forward slash prayer team. I mean, look at this. We had over 150 people sign up already. We had 80 people praying live last week on Zoom. We want you to join us. You can sign up right there at forward slash prayer team. There's a men's group. There's a women's group. Thank you, Ms. Dawn. There's a men's group and a women's group praying together. And, and I'm telling you, it was powerful. It was powerful. We're back again tonight at 7 uh, on Zoom. And uh, again, sign up. We'll text you. The link is the same every week. Nothing changes. And you can log right back into the room tonight at 7. It'll be open a little bit early, um, about 6.45 if, if I'm right, Glenn. I'm going to be jumping on with you guys. I'm here in Revival, but listen, I'm jumping on with you. And I'm going to be praying with you. And God is moving already. I mean, I got the reports from the women's group last week. Power of God moved in their group. Power of God moved in our group. And uh, I'm so, so, yep, Nancy, same link, same link. And um, I'm, I'm very excited about this because God's doing something through this time of prayer and consecration. God's doing something. And I'm going to tell you, uh, you're not logging on to listen to somebody pray. You're not logging on to listen to somebody. No, no, no. We're, we're, at, we're calling on it. And we've talked to the groups we're, we're, like we did last week, man. Women are doing it this week. We're calling on other people saying, listen, take us in for a few moments. You pray, you pray, you pray, you pray. And uh, one, I'll tell you how we did it, which is very helpful. And women, you can do the same. If you're not, uh, if, you're, if you're comfortable, if you're not too embarrassed to pray in front of the group, just put your hand up on your Zoom call. You, there's a way you can click the three dots and raise your hand. Just keep your hand up in your, on your profile picture as we're in the Zoom call. And uh, ladies, Suzanne will call on you or Carolyn, whoever's in there uh, live calling it out. They'll call on you to come in and say, hey, come in and pray for a few minutes. And then just begin to pray out of your spirit. That's what we did, men. We did that uh, last week. And we called on the men. And it was powerful. I mean, it was powerful. And uh, I can't wait for tonight. And, and Glenn is confirming here, 645, the room will be open. I'm going to be in a little bit early. And I'm going to tell you, I'm going to stand pray for a little bit. I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to press in with you. Because we're believing for breakthroughs. Uh, it's just, it's wonderful. Can I tell you, of course, you know that the church launch is happening on March the 26th. Can I tell you, even as we've just been praying, let me give you some more testimonies. Uh, as you know, we're renting out the West Palm Beach Convention Center until our building is intact. And um, can I tell you, just since we made the announcement, we've not taken one offering uh, in a meeting towards the church or anything like that, but just through the people God already sent People call and say, I feel to pay for a month of the convention center. Someone else, I feel to pay for a month of the convention center. Somebody, I feel two months of the convention center. Two other people called and said, let me cover a week. Let me cover a week. And we haven't even gotten into one service. We've not taken one offering. And I think we're like somewhere close to 
uh, 22 weeks in the convention center covered uh, supernaturally by God. You start praying and things start breaking open. You start praying and things start breaking open. And I'm just going to tell you that's what's going to happen for you, your business, your ministry, your family, as we join together and we start to pray. And so I'm very, very excited about it. I can't wait to see what's going to happen quickly, quickly. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for your wonderful and precious people, precious people. I ask you, Lord, let this be a year of wonders. We call it by faith our year of transformation. Let everything be transformed into your image, into your plan, into your likeness. Father, I pray you'd stretch your hands toward us and do what only you can do so that you get all the glory and the praise for what's happening in Jesus' wonderful name. Let that be our story this year. Quick breakthroughs, quick turnarounds in the wonderful name of Jesus. Bless your people. If the enemy is trying to attack them, I ask you to raise up, hallelujah, a standard against him. We thank you that their shield of faith quenches and extinguishes every fiery dart of the wicked one. In Jesus' mighty name, we thank you and we praise you. Now, Lord, speak to your people about what you'd have them to sow into this ministry. Thank you that you're drawing partners in to Miracle Word that are standing with us to believe God for revival, not just in South Florida, in America, in Jesus' name. We declare it. America shall be saved. We give you praise and glory for it. Amen. Now that's the stuff leaders should be made of.